So I'm going to finish this uh, series of today um, on winning your war, and, and I don't know, today may be the one that just, just, is, just pulls it all together. It's kind of like the concluding sentence in a paragraph, it just, or the conclusion in a book. It just wraps it all up, it pulls it all together. Uh, we've been through a lot of different things in Judges thus far, and today we're going to have one verse of Scripture that we're going to preach from, and that is found in Judges 3. But before we get to that, today's message is just entitled simply, Three Secrets for Success. Everybody say, Three Secrets for Success. How many want to learn how to succeed in everything? Doesn't matter what you do. So if you will stand to your feet for the reading of God's Word, one verse, one verse attributed to one man, and um, it's an interesting verse. We'll, we'll just unpack it as we go. Uh, this is coming on the heels of Ehud, who has passed away by this point in time. Remember, he was the left-handed man by default. He killed Eglon, delivered Israel. Israel served God as long as he was alive. He died. They went back into sin. Verse 31, after him came Shamgar. Everybody say Shamgar. Shamgar. The son of Anath, who struck down, I want you to catch this, 600 Philistines with an ox goad. And he also saved Israel. I mean, that is just unbelievable to think about, that one passage of Scripture. One, one verse, one story, one judge, and that's all we learn about him. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your presence that you won't fail. Just as you wouldn't fail Israel in the book of Judges, and you constantly raised up a deliverer, you will not fail us and deliver us of whatever we're faced with. I'm so grateful and thankful for all you've done for us, God. You've been so good. God, you've given us so many messages and keys on how to win our war. Now today, God, the simple message, I pray you speak to us and you help us to win our war. Anoint me to speak forth your word, not a word and tongue only, but also in power and in deed. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. Uh, let's uh, hold your Bibles up in whatever form you have, and let's boldly declare, Father, today. This week, by your grace, I'm going to be a doer of your word and not a hearer only, deceiving my own self. Now, Lord, anoint my ears, anoint my heart, anoint my spirit, my soul, my mind, and my body to receive the truth of your word. In Christ's name we pray, amen, amen. High five two or three people and say three secrets for success. Obscurity, we don't think about it much. The definition is the state of being unknown, inconspicuous, or unimportant, at least by the world standards. Many, many inconspicuous people came from history to change and alter history. I think of people like Nelson Mandela, who grew up in the Trans-K village in Africa, struggled for everything in life, from education to jail time to apartheid, you name it, but he is now known worldwide as the greatest African of the 20th century. I think of Abraham Lincoln growing up in a very modest, small, humble farmhouse. His mom was... Uh, unpredictable, he battled from one failure to another failure to another failure, yet he's arguably the most popular and influential president uh, that the United States has ever had. 
I think of people that we know so well in history, like Benjamin Franklin, who is the 15th born of 17 kids from a candle maker. He had two years of formal education and yet became very well known and did great things. I think of modern day people, people like J-Lo, Jennifer Lopez, the dancer, singer, movie star, used to walk the streets of the Bronx in New York with holes in her tennis shoes and she was simply known as Jenny. Nowhere to go at the age of 18, so she took couches in her dance studios and she slept at night in her dance studio couches from one to the other to the other and on and on until she made it big. Chris Pratt lived in his van in Hawaii and by his own testimony worked 15 hours a week enough to buy food and weed and smoke dope and live in his van until he became a great actor. Sarah Jessica Parker, the great actress actually from right here in Ohio, Nelsonville, Ohio, testifies that she remembers what it was like to have her power cut off as a kid regularly. Small coal mining town here in Ohio. She said, I remember growing up and there not being Christmases. I remember there not being birthdays, i.e. no presents. She said, I remember the phone being cut off. She's worth $90 million today and she's known as the most frugal Hollywood actress out there. She's extremely frugal. I guess when you come from that background, that happens. Celine Dion was... The last of 14 children, check this out, her family lived off $160 a week that her dad made. He would walk to work instead of riding the bus to save the 10 cents because the family needed the 10 cents to help feed the kids. Many people in history come from very obscure backgrounds. They don't always come from royalty like Prince Harry or Prince William. They don't always come from some famous actress or actor. So many people who have changed the world, especially for the kingdom of God, from Genesis to Revelation, came from very obscure, know-nothing, unimportant backgrounds, like last week, J.L., just a, just a mama in a tent in the middle of a desert who changed the nation. See, God takes people out of complete obscurity, and he raises them up at critical points of time in history for his glory. I think of people... Like David, the shepherd boy who went to a valley and killed a giant there by the name of Goliath. And he went from obscurity in the shepherd fields with the sheep to one day becoming the king of Israel. In one moment, in one act of courage, in one discerning word from God, God can work through you and I to change this world. He can. Do you believe that? I think of Esther standing before the king, an orphan girl who her cousin took her in and helped raise her and take care of her as her parents were passed away. Yet she stood before a king and saved an entire nation. I think about some of the people we talked about over the previous weeks, like Ehud, the crippled man who couldn't use his right hand and had to work through his offhand, his left hand, and yet saved a nation. I think of Gideon fleshing wheat at the Midianites, terrified in the middle of the night that the Midianites were going to kill him. Weakest war in all of Israel, God used him to deliver Israel. The list could go on and on and on about how God uses obscure people. He took a little girl that some say was maybe 16 years old by the name of Mary, and he said, you're going to birth the Savior of the world. And so she did, an obscure little girl in a, in a, in a town somewhere that nobody had ever heard of or knew nothing about. I think of Paul who was on the road to Damascus and God used him. An obscure 
hateful man turned his heart around and he began to birth the churches to the Gentiles. I think of Simon Peter after receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit, just an obscure fisherman from the Sea of Galilee, and 5,000 saved his first sermon, and, and thousands more after that. And a movement started that by Acts 17, 6, the world was turned upside down by the glory of God. I think of the temple veil torn two when an obscure carpenter from Nazareth hung on an old rugged cross and said, It is finished. To tell us thy, it's over. The battle has been won. The time that the stone was rolled away and he defeated death, hell, and the grave. Here's what I'm trying to say, trying to say to you and what I'm trying to tell you today. Just as God used obscure fishermen and tax collectors as disciples, just as used, God used these mighty men, Moses, on the backside of a desert. Listen, if you want to talk about a real loser, Moses was 80 years old, still living with his in-laws. That's the definition of you're a loser. And God said, I'm going to pick you, loser, till you out of the backside of the desert to deliver my nation. Here's my point. God takes ordinary people like you and I, obscure people like us, obscure churches like us, the backside of nowhere at 3 o'clock. And he says, you know what? I am capable and well able and well willing to raise you up. To do a mighty work for my glory. Is anybody catching anything of what I'm trying to say? I'm telling you that he'll never fail. Nothing is impossible with him. There are no two people that are unimportant. There are no two obscure people. There are no obscure churches. There are no none, none of that. When we yield ourselves to God like Shamgar and the people of the Bible, and as I flesh this out, how to do that is very simple. God can use us. Somebody say amen. God can use us to bring a great revival. I mean, I'm, I'm preaching to somebody today. Another moment in time that I want to look at is found right here in Judges 3.31, and that is this man named Shamgar. Everybody shout Shamgar. He's a classic example of what God can do through someone. You and I, ordinary people. I'm not talking about royalty here. I'm talking about an average person. Shamgar, interestingly enough, his name means sword. So right away I think of Ephesians 6.16, and that is, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the what? The Word of God, right? So we think of sword, we think of sword of Spirit. Uh, uh, the Word of God. Hebrews 4.12, for the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And just like Shamgar, we need to use the, the sword of the Spirit. But I want you to picture the Word of God or the sword of the Spirit in a different way. Listen, Shamgar was the sword in the hands of God. You have the Word of God in you. Watch this. So you're not just speaking with a sword. You're not just yielding a sword, which is the word of God. Watch this. You are the sword in the hands of God. And every time you declare the scriptures, God is yielding his sword on this earth. Every time you declare healing over your sick body, you are a sword in the hands of God. Every day, every day that you declare me and my household will be saved, guess what? You're a sword in the hands of Almighty God. 
when all hell comes against you and tries to cast you into addictions and all kinds of bondage and you say who the son is set free is free indeed that's God with a sword in his hand you are that sword in his hand and He's just swiping right through against the devil. Every time you say who the spirit, uh, uh, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. You are a sword in the hands of God. Every time you say Acts three sixteen that I am healed by the name of Jesus, He is yielding that sword. Every time Acts sixteen thirty, me and my household will be saved. He's yielding that sword. Every time He that knows the truth, the truth shall make him free. God is yielding that sword. I've got a question for you is your sword being used by God or does all that comes out of your mouth complaining griping and agreeing with the devil are you a sword in the hands of God and let me ask even further how sharp is your sword how much are you in the word How sharp are you keeping? It's like a dull axe. Eventually, it's got to be sharpened. Well, every day you get in the Word, every time you come to the house of God, God is sharpening, God is sharpening, and God will use you like a sword to cut through the devil's kingdom. Somebody say amen. Is anybody catching that? There are three secrets to success that Shamgar displayed that caused the Lord to act on his his behalf. And listen, if you will apply these to your life, No matter what the task is or how great the opposition is, you will walk in victory and win your war. Shamgar lived 3,000 years ago. He was most likely a farmer, and he saved an entire nation with an ox goad. What's an ox goad? An ox goad was an old-timey, old-fashioned... I tried to buy one. You can't even find one anywhere to use as an object lesson. But it's an old-fashioned cattle prod. It's a, it's a seven-foot wooden pole with a metal tip on the end. And when that oxen isn't doing what you want, it's kind of like spears to a horse. You hit him with that cattle prod, and all of a sudden that ox will do what you want. The reason that historians believe that he was uh, a farmer was because the only thing you would use oxes for, and the only reason you have an ox guard is because you have oxes. And the only thing you would really use oxes for at that time would be to plow the ground so that you could farm the land. This dude was a farmer. Everybody say, look to your neighbor and say, this dude was a farmer. But this everyday average farmer took a cattle prod and killed 600 Philistines at one time. Now the Philistines were the terrorists of the day. They were a murderous race of people and they hated Israel. And when Shamgar saw his nation and his people under threat, he grabbed his ox guard and he went to battle. Listen, he mustered up every bit of courage he could. He mustered up all the faith that he could. He grabbed the only weapon he had any kind of idea about, and off he went to battle, man, facing the impossible. He took off and he said, I got to fight and do something. You cannot, one guy said it this way, you cannot discover new oceans unless you have the courage to lose sight of the shore. Listen, they might, you, maybe you've been given a bad report. Maybe the odds are against you. Maybe the doctor's given you a horrific report. Maybe you have a financial problem. Maybe you have family issues. Maybe you are up against impossible odds. Maybe you feel depressed. 
Maybe you feel hopeless. I want to tell you, I'm sure Shamgar felt all of that, and so did the Israelites. But something rose inside of him. Somewhere along the way, maybe plowing the ground, maybe planting the seed, he kept saying, somebody's got to do something about the enemy. Somebody's got to do something about the, the, the enemy and what they're doing to us. Somebody's got to get Israel free. And I believe one day God walked beside him and said, well, Shamgar, you're somebody. And he said, well, I don't know what I can do. And he says, what do you got? I got an ox code. That's good enough. You, your ox code, and me equals victory over the enemy. Woo! Man, I come to tell somebody, you, the Word of God, the Holy Spirit inside of you equals victory over whatever battle you'll face. Woo! Somebody shout glory. Because I read in Luke one thirty seven, it says, Nothing is impossible with God. And in Matthew 19.26, it says, With God, all things are possible. Man, we've got to quit, quit giving up. We've got to start dreaming again. Start believing again. Start believing God can do the impossible again. God was with Shamgar and brought him and the nation of Israel out of their impossible situation. Now listen, you've probably never had 600 assassins trying to kill you. So if you're like me, it's easy to read this and say, well, that was good. What, how does that apply to me? What's that got to do with my life? So let's try to get in the head of a man facing 600 to 1 odds. What in blue blazes was he thinking? With all the threats going on around him. What caused him to win his war? Three things did, and that leads me to point number one, and that is this. I'm telling you, it's going to be simple today. You ready? Start where you are. Everybody just say, start where you are. Shamgar started where he was. He was a farmer. He went from the farm and the field, from the cornfield to the battlefield. He started where he was. He was not in a powerful position he was not some military hero. He was not royalty. He didn't have a great lineage to, to speak of. He was an average, ordinary person like you and I. Most likely a former farmer. And he realized if anything is going to change in my future, if my dreams are going to come to pass, if my destiny is going to come to pass, something's got to be done about the enemy. And he said, i got to start right where I am. God, who am I? I'm out in this cornfield planting corn, I don't know what can I possibly do against them. God doesn't expect us to start on the pinnacle of the mountain. He just wants us to start right where we are. All this whole series from March till now, start where you are. Poke your neighbor and say, start where you are. You've got to start where you are. All of us Wish we had different circumstances than we're in right now. How many of you right now can think of a few prayers that if God would just snap his finger, you'd go home delighted because some things would change in your life? Am I the only one? Am I the Raise a hand. How many of you? Wow, man. <laughs> Woo. But God likes to see people come from meager beginnings. God loves to see people that are against the odds, not give up, Despite discouraging circumstances. I don't know. Something about it gets his attention. And listen, if you wait too long to decide what you're going to do with your life, your life's going to go by and it'll already be done for you. you got to start where you are. Walt Disney put cotton in his ears when his dad said, 
Quit trying to draw, wasting your time on drawing cartoons. Go get a real job, son. His art teacher told him, it's a true story what I'm telling you. Put cotton in his ears. He didn't want to hear his dad. Don't be a cartoonist. What's wrong with you? Go get a real job. His art teacher told him that his drawings were ridiculous. He said, Walt, flowers don't have faces. He wasn't very uh, creative, was his art teacher. So he applied to be the cartoonist in the Kansas City Star, and he was turned down and told he had no talent. Get out of here. He went to the Kansas City Journal, and he asked for a job and was told again, you'll never make it. You have no talent. This is a true story. So he did, in desperation, the only thing he could, he started his own art studio. He rented a dilapidated roach and rat infested warehouse in the worst part of town you could find him in. And as he was drawing his drawings in his own little art studio with no job, nowhere to go, he noticed a little mouse would creep out. So he began throwing him bread. Well, the mouse got a little more comfortable with him. Would come out further and further until, true story, he would sit there and draw at his desk, and the mouse would sit on the desk and watch him draw. They became little buddies. One day, an idea popped into his head. Walt Disney said, I'm going to draw this mouse with big ears. And thus, he created Mickey Mouse and all that goes with it. What would have happened had the Kansas City Star and the Kansas City Journal hired him? Perhaps he would have never come up with what we all know now as Mickey Mouse, Minnie Mouse, Walt Disney World, and all the other stuff that goes with it. Listen, here's the point. When God's hand is on your life, even the rejections that come along, he will use for your good. Every rejection you've ever faced, every rejection you've ever dealt with, God can use it for his good. All things work for the good to them that love the Lord. Listen, when you're in the right place where God has you, even the rats can produce in your life. Man, I come to preach to somebody and tell you, it doesn't matter how many failures, it doesn't matter how many rejections, I don't care how depressed you are, I don't care how hopeless you feel, you are where you are. If you'll just start right where you're at, God can use it for his glory. God can do great things with you right where you are right now with what you have to work with. You don't have to say, well, one day when I get this, or one day when this happens, or one day when that, uh-uh. God says, start right here where you are. Don't think one day, if I get to that place, then I can do something for God. Or if I get this degree, I can do this for God. Or if I get to my Rehoboth, I'll see God do this. Uh-uh. God says, start right where you are. For Shamgar, it was the farm field. You start right where you are. And that leads me to my second point, and that is simply this. Use what you have. Somebody needs to carry hit this. Shamgar simply used what he had. And he didn't use something he was unfamiliar with. Listen, Shamgar used what he was familiar with, what he was talented with, what he was gifted with, what he was used to working with. 
Why is that important? He didn't focus on what he didn't have. He chose to focus on what he did have. Let me say that again. He didn't focus on what he didn't have. Well, I don't have a bow and arrow. And I don't have a horse. And I don't have a javelin. And I don't have a catapult with burning balls flying at him. I, what am I going to do? He didn't focus on all that. He said, well, I can start right where I am. And I guess I can use this ox goad. This looks like a weapon of mass destruction to me. And it was. Amen. It was nothing to most people, but to Shamgar, he knew how to use that stick. One, I want to tell you something. What your gift is, what your talent is, what your ability is, may not look like something to somebody else. It may not be useful in my hands, but in your hands, it can be a tool to defeat the enemy. It can be what God uses to bring forth the victory and win your war. Shamgar was proficient with the ox code. He had used it most of his life. He focused on the fact, watch this, that God gave him something to work with. I may not have all the modern weaponry, but I got this. You see, God doesn't expect you to use someone else's talents or someone else's abilities, or someone else's resources, or someone else's uh, gifts. He only wants you to use what is yours. First Samuel, you find a great passage here, and we know it, the story of David and Goliath, but I, I want to point out how David didn't try to use someone else's anointing or his armor. Then Saul gave David his own armor, a bronze helmet and a coat of mail. David put it on, strapped the sword over it, took a step or two to see what it was like, for he had never worn such things before. And David said, I can't go in these. He protested to Saul. I'm not used to them, so David took them off again. In other words, I can't walk in your anointing, Saul. I can't wear what you wear. I can't do what you do. I can't fight the way you fight. I got to fight the way I fight. And the way a shepherd fights is by taking a slingshot and some rocks and slinging this thing at high revolutions and he became so proficient out there with the sheep and the lions and the bears and everything, he could hit anything bullseye. And that thing would come at such a speed that it would kill instantly, almost the speed of a bullet. That rock would fly out. So what does he do? He says, hey, I can't use what you use, Saul. I'm not you. So in the very next verse, verse 40, what does he do? He took his staff in his hand, something he was used to. He chose five smooth stones from the stream, something he was familiar with. Oh, that rock won't work. Oh, that rock won't work. Kind of like skipping rocks on a lake. How many of you ever done that before? You skip rocks on a lake or a river or something, and you know that, well, that rock's, oh, this is a good flat one. Oh, this one's going to skip. I'm going to win. And you get just the right one. I believe he went to that stream, and he dug around, and he said, this will work. This, oh, that one worked on the lion. Oh, one like that worked on the bear. Oh, one like that worked on the coyote. Let me get there. They'll work on that giant too. He went for something he was familiar with. And watch this. He put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag. He walked in preparation just like Shamgar. Shamgar went to the battle with his ox goad. David goes to the battle with his shepherd's bag, his five smooth stones, and his sling in his hand, his weapon of choice, and he approached the Philistine. In other words, I don't need Saul's anointing. I don't need Saul's gift. I don't need Saul's armor. What I need is what I'm used to. And what I have is enough in the hands of God. 
And I'm preaching to somebody what you have, your talent, your ability, who you are as a person is what you need for the glory of God. God will use that. God doesn't expect us to use someone else's talent. God doesn't expect you to use Holly's singing ability. God doesn't expect me to, to preach like Robert Morris. God doesn't expect you to work in someone else's talents where they are. God just says, hey, what do you have? Everything you need to be used for the glory of God, he's already given you. What he's saying is be you. Don't be someone else. Don't fit someone else's mold of it. This is one of the greatest things that you have if not allowed, you've, you've indulged me, is you just let me be me. You know, I've been here almost 10 years now. My first Sunday, when I walked in there with jeans and a shirt hanging out, most of y'all looked at me like I'd fallen off the paddy wagon. Preachers wear three-piece suits. They don't dress like you. They sure don't preach like you. Matter of fact, they don't do anything like you. Well, that's kind of good because God didn't call none of them other ones to sell the church and wander in the wilderness for four years. He selected the right guy for the right task at the right time. Amen. That's not anything against anybody former. It's just he said, you'll do. <laughs> Why? Because you don't know what you're doing and you'll just be crazy enough to do what I tell you to do. Amen. God doesn't expect you to do anything other than use what you have. Listen, he's already put in you what you need to use for the kingdom of God. Here's my question. Is your ox goat sitting on a shelf? When was the last time for the glory of God you've been to the river to get your five smooth stones? When was the last time you said, here I am, Lord? I don't have much, but I'll use what I have. When was the last time you quit saying to God, I'll do it when, I'll do it then? No, I'm going to start right where I am with what I have. I don't know what I have. I, I got some. I don't know, God. I got a slingshot. That'll take Goliath down. Well, God, all I got is an ox goat. It'll, it'll, it'll deliver you. It'll kill the Philistines. Well, God, all I got is a, is a, a, a limp hand. I can't even use my good hand. That, that'll work. We'll get the sword out and kill him anyway. Listen, here's my point. Are you using what you have? God's not expecting you to use what you may have five years from now or what you had ten years ago. He's expecting you to use what you have right now. Someone say amen. This is a good preaching today. Look, Shamgar's resources were limited. You may say, if only I had these resources or these talents or these gifts of somebody else. He didn't have anything spectacular to use. He had a cattle prod. But God blesses the person who starts where they are and uses what they have. He turned the ox code into a weapon of mass destruction. Before there were atom bombs, Shamgar had an ox code. And if you ask 600 Philistines what that means, they'll tell you, don't mess with that dude and his 600 and his ox code. I mean, it, I, was, I, 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 I like to think, you know, I picture the battle, you know, he's swinging that ox code. I, I just want to know what the last guy, the 600 guy was thinking. Well, we got him wore down now. I mean, 
He's done killed 599 of my buddies with an ox goad, and yet I'm still running. I think at that point I'm going to depart, and he's going to have to run me down. How many know what I'm talking about? What was the last guy thinking before he died? So here's my question. What resources do you have at your disposal? What gifts or talents or abilities do you have? What can you use to win your war? What can you use for the kingdom of God? Many years ago, a youth pastor opened up the youth room on Wednesdays. They could, in like a small group form, they could, whatever their hobby was, they could invite friends before. They would do their hobby there, and then they would stay for church. Little flowery child, throwback from the 70s, said, Oh, I, 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 need, I need the kitchen area at 7 with the tables and all. He said, Or at 6. What, what, what for before service? He said, she said, I'm going to invite my friends and we're going to do our hobby. He said, well, what's your hobby? She said, basket weaving. He said, you're going to come in and do basket weaving? She said, yes. She said, me and some of my friends like basket weaving. If you give us a play, he said, okay, I'll provide the place. You come in, but they all got to stay for church. Okay, no problem. So he walked in the next Wednesday. He was thinking all week there might be two or three. She had 35 friends there, happy as a lark, doing basket weaving. She started where she was, and she used what she had. And 35 of her unchurched friends got in that youth ministry and heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, and some of them got saved. God can use an ox code, a slingshot, or basket weaving. You can use whatever you want. If the ideas ever come to you, Pastor, I love bowling. Why doesn't somebody do a bowling small group? Well... You're somebody. Pastor, I, I love walking in the park. I, I would love for somebody to lead a walking in the park small group where we just walk in the park and we just chit-chat and maybe I'll share the gospel. Well, you're somebody. Listen, I've come to tell somebody, quit waiting on somebody else to do it. Shimgard didn't sit around and go, I wish somebody would defeat the Philistines. He finally stood up and he said, well... I'm somebody, and I got an ox goad, and I'm going to battle. I'm telling you, we need a group of people that will rise up and say, I'll use what I have, and I'll start right where I am. Amen. What has God put in your hand? I mean, two of the greatest things God has ever given any of us is desire and dreams. I mean, dreams motivate us. They move us. Every accomplishment that has ever been achieved has been because it was birthed as a dream in someone who stood up and said, I'm going to start where I am and I'm going to use what I have. Not only do you have an ox goat of a dream, but listen, you also have something that is powerful called enthusiasm. I don't think Shamgar got up and said, well, I guess I'll go fight the Philistines today. Babe, I'm probably going to die. Here's my will. You get my ox goat if it didn't break it. And, and those five oxen, 20 sheep, they're yours, honey. I love you. We'll see what happens. If I come back tonight, I hope dinner's hot and on the toe. If not, have a good life. They didn't do that. I can't help but believe he was enthusiastic. I can't help but believe righteous indignation didn't rise up in him. I can't believe that something rise up. He said, man, I'm going to go out and I'm sick to death of the enemy. I believe he had a passion and too much to lose. Here's my question. Do you have a passion for God? Is there something inside of you that says, man, somebody's got to do something. I praise God that somebody did something. And now in our court system, they're about to about 
abolish Roe v. Wade and overturn it. I thank God that somebody has been doing something. I've been praying for years myself about this. Listen, I'm thankful that somebody did something and that at least five Supreme Court justices right now are about to do something that they can do to get the sin out of America. Somebody say amen. Now, I know a lot of pastors won't touch on that, but I want to tell you, it's murder all day long, and it's sickening that people are protesting around the country so they can kill innocent babies. I want to tell you, my God, we need revival in America again. We need a great awakening in America. We need to fight for the lives of people, not the right to kill people. Did you know the word enthusiasm comes from the Greek word entheos, which means in God? Enthusiasm literally comes from the Greek word, which means in God. If you are in God and God is in you, then we should be brimming with enthusiasm. We should be turbocharged about life and what God is doing. I highlighted this in my notes, so I want to read it word for word. The world should not be more excited and enthusiastic about its things than we are for the kingdom of God. I'm going to say it again. The world should not be more enthusiastic about its things than we are for the kingdom of God. There should be a passion for God that rises in us. There should be a fire brewing down in our soul that says, man, I'm going to serve God. There ought to be something that moves us to say, I'm going to start where I am and I'm going to use what I have. And listen, point number three is this. I'm almost done. Do what you can do. Start where you are. Use what you have and do what you can do. God's not asking you to do what you're not capable of. He's not asking you to give a half a million dollars to some ministry if you don't have a half a million dollars. God's not asking you to do something that you're not capable of. He's only asking us to do what we can do. Shamgar did what he could do. Start where you are. Use what you have. Do what you can do and you watch what God will do. He'll do what you can't do. (laughs) Shamgar in his own strength could not kill 600 by himself. But because he started where he was, he used what he had, he headed out to do what he could do with God alongside. God said, you know what, I'm going to be the X factor here. Because <laughs> me and you and Oxcode is way bigger than 600 or 6,000 or with Gideon, 300. And they went out and 135,000 died. I want to come to tell you, listen, the enemy is no match when God is with you. The enemy is no match for the Holy Spirit inside of you. Why do you think he tries to get you to quit so bad? Why do you think he tries to get you to throw in the towel so bad? Because he knows he can't win because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world Woo! somebody shout glory you can make a difference with your obedience and your courage and then God comes in to do more than you can imagine Ephesians 3 20 says it this way now to him who is able who is able who is able now to him God who is able notice the H is capitalized now to him everybody point up say to him who is able everybody say able everybody say able do your arms like this able 
I mean, we're like Muhammad Ali. Come on. We're going to float like a butterfly and sting like a bee against the enemy. And now to him who is able, watch this, to do exceeding. Everybody do like that. Oh, it would be fun. Just smack your neighbor right in the face. Exceeding. Everybody say exceeding. You know what that means? That's beyond what you can do. That's beyond your reach. That is in areas you can't touch. Abundantly. Everybody say abundantly. Boy, that's more. That's more than you get your arms around. Everybody say above. That's higher than you can reach. So watch this. He'll reach out further. He'll get you more than you can get your arms around. And he'll reach up higher than you can go. All that you can ask or think. Watch this. According to the power. The dunamis working power of the Holy Spirit that works in us. If we only knew how much God wants to bless us. If we only knew how much God wants to do through us. There was a professional baseball player in Chicago. By the name of Billy Sunday. Some of you old timers will remember the name Billy Sunday. He left the game of baseball to fame. And what little bit of money back then went with it. And all that stuff. He was a born again Christian. He left all of baseball and went to be a preacher. Well, as he preached around, he went to Charlotte, North Carolina, where a group of businessmen were putting a meeting together. And the meeting, the revival service was so great, but Billy couldn't stay the whole time. So they said, hey, we'll support the meeting. In other words, we'll pay for everything if you'll keep sending us people from your evangelistic association to keep the revival in Charlotte going. It was a revival that started through Billy Sunday. Well, Billy Sunday said, sure. So he sent a man by the name of Mordecai Ham. Mordecai Ham showed up preaching. Man, things are going good. Revival's happening. Well, in the middle of one of his messages, a 17-year-old lanky boy from the back of the building came forth to give his heart to Jesus Christ. Little did anybody know at the time that that 17-year-old lanky boy was a man by the name of Billy Graham who would win more people in the United States to Jesus Christ than anybody else in our lifetime. All because Billy Sunday said, I'll do what I can. You may ask, well, what can I do? Well, you can pray. There may be people who won't give you the time of day, but they're powerless against your prayers. Your prayers can go anywhere. Your prayers can go into the bar room. Your prayers can go into the crack house. Your prayers can go into the prison system. Your prayers can go into the hearts of people that would never, you will never see in your lifetime, nor will ever give you the time of day. Your prayers can go anywhere. Man, are you hearing this? Did you know you can pray for people like Madonna and Beyonce and the Kardashians, and they'll never give you the time of day, but they cannot resist your prayer. Did you know your little Johnny who don't want to serve God and he's out there doing his own thing? He cannot evade your prayers. I'm preaching to somebody. Did you know that you can, instead of griping about our president, you can actually pray for him? And you know his, your prayers go right on past the secret service at the front gate. They go right on through the doors and walls, right on through his stony hard heart and get in there. And all of a sudden, listen, hey. We got it made. We have a president who basically has no idea what's going on. He may start making decisions in our favor. Somebody say amen. And they'll all look at him and go, what are you doing? I don't know. It sounded like a good idea to me. Amen. 
He can't evade our prayers. Listen, there is no heart too hard hard that your prayers can't get through. You say, well, so-and-so's on death row. God, all the prayers can get in there. Nothing can stop your... You don't know my loved one, no, but I know God answers prayers. And when you pray for somebody to be saved, it is a prayer he'll answer every single time. Man, I'm telling you, your prayers can get through the cancer diagnosis that says it's stage four and there's no hope. Your prayers can seep through all that... And start busting out them cancer cells. And all of a sudden the doctor says, well, what was once there is now gone. Man, I'm preaching to somebody. I'm telling you, your prayers can get through the hardest heart, the deepest walls, the toughest circumstance, the most impossible situation. My God, we need to pray. You can do that. John 14, 13 says, whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, so the Father may be glorified in the Son. This is the success, the the formula for success for every person. Start where you are, use what you have, do what you can do, and God will bless your life. Listen, God doesn't bless people who say, well, I want to do something for God, and when God does something, then I'll step out and do it. You'll be sitting there forever. Not going to happen. When trials and attacks come against you and your family, God looks to see how you're going to respond. Are you going to worry and fret? Are you going to complain and gripe? Are you going to give in and quit? Are you going to take your stand? Start where you are. Use what you have. Do what you can do. How many can do that? Raise your hand if you can start where you are. Keep it up. I want to see. How many can start where you are? How many can use what you have? And how many of you can do what you can do? Amen, brother. God bless you, Papa. We met him at the men's conference. We love you, brother. He won't fail. We all raised our hands. We all said, I can. Now here's the real trick. Will you leave this service? And actually start where you are. Use what you can you have. And do what you can do. I'd like for us to just never forget this. Wow. Get this down in your spirit. Stir up the gift in you right now. Listen, don't say I'm a little old and I'm sliding for home now, so I'm going to take it easy. Uh Uh-uh. Stir up the gift. Your greatest contribution may be waiting inside of you. What are you going to do with all that God has placed in you? What are you going to do with what God has shown you in the form of a dream or a vision? What are you going to do with the rest of your life? Pastor, those are big questions. Well, you start where you are. Use what you have. Do what you can do. Can we pray this together? I'm going to put this on the LED screen. I want you to, I want you to pray. I'm going to lead us in this prayer, and I want you to pray this with me. So, so stick with me. Are you ready? On the count of three, we're going to start with Heavenly Father. I just want you to, if this is you, if you're ready to start where you are, use what you have and do what you can do. I want you just to just to raise your hands up like a sign of surrender. 
Here I am, Lord, like you're offering yourself. And I want you to pray this with me. Are you ready? One, two, three. Heavenly Father, you created me for a purpose. Pray along with me. I was your idea from the time you knit me in my mother's womb. I surrender my, to you, excuse me, I surrender to your plans for my life and give you every talent and every skill that I have. I give you my time each day and I trust you to mold me into the person you want me to be. I give you what is in my hand and I will do what you show me to do. I will minister to those you tell me to minister to. I will go where you lead me, and I place my family in your hands. Teach me how to lead my family to their own place of surrender and their own individual relationship with you. Help me be faithful to your call every day, Lord, and show me each door you would have me walk through. Thank you for loving me and for trusting me with your name. I surrender, Lord, to each and every step you would have me take. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said? Amen. Everybody said? Amen. Everybody said? Amen. Here's what we're going to do at the end of service here. They're getting ready to sing a song. If that's you and your dedication to God today is, I'm ready to start where I am. I'm ready to use what I have, and I'm ready to do what I can do. I'd like for you to stand, and they're going to lead us in a song. And your prayer to God is simply just sing this song. Maybe raise your hands up as a sign of surrender. You know this is the, this is the universal sign of surrender. If you were in Ukraine right now, and Russians came over with machine guns in your face, and you did this, you don't have to speak Russian for them to understand you surrender. When's the last time you said, I surrender to you, God? Other than our prayer right there. Are you ready to start where you are? Use what you have and do what you can do. Sing this song as a way of closing here. As a way of dedicating. As a way of telling God, I'm all in, God. I'm all in.